Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, September 24th, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, Chuck Grassley is running, reaction to redistricting, and a batch of new Iowa poll results. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Aaron. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. As a reminder, you can subscribe to the On Iowa Politics podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. First up this week, Chuck Grassley is running, literally and figuratively this time. Uh, I don't know how many of our loyal listeners were awake at 4 a.m. Maybe you get up early to get ready to hear the new On Iowa Politics podcast dropping later that day. And if you did... And you were on Twitter, you saw that Chuck Grassley finally made it official and announced that he is running for re-election, as we all sort of expected he would. So we can stop with the speculating on whether or not he's going to run. Chuck Grassley is in. He is 88 years old and seeking another six-year term to the Senate. He would be 95 at the end of that full six-year term if if he served it all the way through. Um, This is very fresh news, uh, so let's just kind of get some... Uh, general reactions and and Todd I'll start with you Uh, well I I think it was expected that he was going to run again although you know in recent days there was a little bit of speculation with the new maps coming out and uh, you know would that affect his decision would they would he maybe not run and let Ashley Henson run because she kind of finds herself in a tough position if those maps were to be approved I it's possible that the, the senator has a source inside the legislature. Uh, I'll let you guess who that is, uh, who may have tip, tipped him off to the fact that maybe that first map isn't gonna <laughs> isn't gonna pass, and so that he can go ahead and and do that. That's you know six layers of of speculation on top of uh, you know six slices of rumor. So uh, it's you know not a surprising decision. I think you know there were you know I think the the National Republican party and the and the senate republicans were hoping he would run because that vastly improves their chances of holding that seat it's you know it's you know grassley's seen as a slam dunk he hasn't been uh, he hasn't been challenged really since you know the first time he he ran against the incumbent uh but you know i i think i think he's still going to face I, I think the big you know the big question is what's jim carlin going to do now <laughs> <laughs> he he announced you know as a primary opponent i wonder if that will actually happen or not so uh yeah predictable but you know interesting and carlin uh, tacks to the right a little bit so maybe he still thinks a primary challenge is worthwhile just to see how that does compared to um i guess sort of comparatively the more moderate leanings of grassley but i, I think you're right that um, this was sort of a foregone conclusion too. I mean, even, you know, us asking the question and him answering no was just sort of a dance, you know, that we all did. And just like, it was sort of like he would really have to have something happen in order for him not to run. Otherwise he would have said a long time ago that he wasn't going to run. So, so I agree that this was sort of a foregone conclusion, more of a formality this morning than an outright shock or, you know, breaking news type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. I think that every indication was heading in the direction of him running, and it would have been a bigger surprise. Um, 
if he didn't. And now, now the now we move on from the speculation of um, will he run to the speculation of will he serve the full term, or is he hmm. setting something up where he runs, gets reelected, serves two or three years, and then retires? And um, you know, Republicans, uh, assuming they still have a Republican governor, get to name their replacement who gets a running start on reelection. That's kind of the um, uh, conspiracy theory, if you, if you will. Uh, uh, the concern uh, maybe is another way to put it from Democrats. Um, if you look at Republicans trying to hold on to this seat that uh, obviously with Chuck Grassley, they've held for a long time. Yeah. And you could say that that's sort of an ageist question. And I've questioned that myself, you know, but he is 88. He's the second oldest senator, um, just three months shy of Dianne Feinstein. So, I mean, it's a legitimate question to ask when somebody's, you know, getting into their late 80s, you know, are they prepared? you know, for another six year term or not. Um, I think probably at that stage in your life, if you're still feeling good, like why not go for it? I don't think Grassley himself is thinking, oh yeah, I'm probably going to be on the decline in a few years. You know, he's probably thinking he can do out the full term. This is a guy that still gets up at 4am and runs. So long as he's feeling good, he's probably going to say, I plan to stay out the full term. And honestly, I believe that. Yeah, that was the that seemed to be the whole point of why they announced the way they did. It was to sort of emphasize that he's up and at him and running. Yep. And so, yeah. Healthy. Yeah. Make it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. That'll be interesting. Well, uh, now that we have a matchup, that makes this next topic a little more uh, interesting and a little more concrete. Since last we cast our pod, a new Iowa poll dropped. And because this is a political podcast, of course, we can't help but blather on about poll results. So in the immortal words of Heath Ledger's Joker, here we go. While the same (laughs) Iowa poll a few months back found that most Iowans felt someone other than Chuck Grassley should be elected to the U.S. Senate, apparently they don't think that someone else should be Abby Finkenauer because this latest poll found that in a hypothetical Grassley-Finkenauer matchup, Grassley got 55% of the responses and Finkenauer 37%. Uh, so Todd, other than we've talked about this on the show before, maybe, maybe showing that the should elected official X be reelected poll question maybe needs to be put out to pasture. Other than that, what does this early poll result on a potential Grassley Finkenauer matchup tell us? Well, it, it tells us that, you know, Chuck Grassley's a, political institution in the state. Everybody knows who he is. A lot of people have voted for him in the past. Uh, and so against a, maybe a lesser known, uh, you know, contender, at least in other parts of the state besides the first district where Abby Finkenauer was a member of Congress, uh, I think it's, you know, it, it it's not a surprising poll. I mean, she's, I would have bet that she would start out about 20 points behind. That would and this is and this is roughly that. So uh, she's you know it doesn't mean it's you know you have, you're going to have have a campaign and it's not over today. I thought I saw someone on Twitter say with these poll numbers we should have had a parliamentary system because then Reynolds and these they could call for an election right now. <laughs> so but that they can't do that. We have to wait until November of next year. So. Uh, yeah, Abby Finkenauer's got some work to do, and she, you know, I think the odds are against her catching up. But um, I think, you know, we've seen her run. She's got some political skills. It's certainly a contrast uh, between the two candidates. And so 
both in ideas and, and you know, demographics and generations and all of that. Uh, but yeah, it shows Grassley is on really solid footing and is going to be difficult to beat. Yeah. Um, a- a- Amy, Abby Finkenauer is from your neck of the woods over there. She represented the, the first district. Um, now that we know she's going to have to face Chuck Grassley, what are your kind of initial thoughts on her trying to climb that mountain, so to speak? Yeah. And, and this is the mountain we sort of expected. I'm sure her team expected her to climb as well. Um, it's not impossible. I think if the IO poll shows anything, it's, it's a, still a long, hard road that she's going to be climbing to get there. Um, it, it'll just, I think, depend on the strategy going forward. And, and honestly, it'll probably depend on a lot about what the White House is able to accomplish um, with these bills coming out on infrastructure um, and other things. Um, if they prove popular and, and Biden slipped and maybe, maybe Democrats get lifted as a whole and that helps Senate candidates next year. Um, if that doesn't happen or we get mired in a, in a debt spiral and uh, federal government shutdown, maybe that looks bad for them and, and that doesn't help her cause either. But right now, um, given that none of that's happened, it's, it's a super uphill climb. Um, but again, she signed up for this knowing that Grassley was likely to be the nominee. And so I, I got to think that her team has a plan in place for that. So it remains to be seen. Yeah. 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 Oh, go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead, Todd. I was just going to say, it, it, you know, the way it looks right now, it could be a, a tough year for Democrats. And so that's not going to be good news for <laughs> mm-hmm. Abby Finkenauer. Um, also, it was a little bit, I don't know, a little disappointing to see sort of the reaction from the Democratic side this morning. I think they kind of tried to paint Grassley as a, as a millionaire and someone who's out of touch and all of these things. And I, I don't think any of that's going to stick. I think yeah. they need to, they need to sort of fight this battle maybe over some ideas, maybe some, you know, bolder uh, political calculating than what, I mean, it, it sounded like just the typical sort of boilerplate, you know, things that Democrats have been, firing at Republicans and they've basically just bounced off. So maybe they'd better unpack some different ammunition at this point. <laughs> it's possible yeah. that, that Abby tries to go a little bit further left than she had in the past. I know she was trying to really be a moderate her first term um, in, in the house and that it didn't really work out for her in the election. And you've seen her on Twitter um, tacking a little bit further to the left. That does get her a little bit more attention and that attention could translate into dollars, which she is obviously desperate in need of compared to Grassley's war chest for the campaign. So I think it's very likely we might see her swing that way a little bit more than she had in the past. That'll be, that'll be interesting. Um, I hadn't thought about that, Amy. That'll be interesting to see if that, comes to be and and Todd you raise a good point and you mentioned I, I was about to mention the same thing the the email blast that went out uh, calling Grassley a millionaire senator um, and I, and I think you're right on the nose about trying to paint Grassley as out of touch it, I, I guess it depends on how you're approaching that because I know that the Finkenauer campaign wants to draw attention to you know certain votes and you know he 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 voted against the the January 6th commission and, and, and this and that, and, and he hasn't been willing to stand up uh, for certain things that they think are the antithesis of Iowa values. So if you're, I mean, if you're going about it that way, that's maybe one thing, but to just kind of broadly say he's out of touch with Iowa's, I mean, that's like you said, that's just not going to land. That's the, the guy literally mm-hmm. travels. And, and I know we kind of sometimes joke about the actual effectiveness of the 99 County tour and, and, 
how in some spots is, is he really actually seeing people in some of those events or is he just kind of dropping in on a business in, in, a, in a democratic stronghold. But the fact of the matter is, is he is out there and he is accessible to Iowans and, and to just try to broadly paint him with the brush that he's out of touch with Iowans. I, 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 I'm with you, Todd. I don't see that punch landing. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't have a lot of really good, sort of arguments at her disposal that are, I mean, at this point that you could see would be damaging. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with sort of running on the rotate the crops generational sort of argument that, you know, this guy has been in public office since Eisenhower and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe it's time for a change. I mean, we've seen that work in the past. Tom Vilsack used the rotate the crops argument when he first ran for governor, because we'd had 40 years of Republican governors. Uh, uh, Greg Gansky used it against Neil Smith. He drove around in a car that was built the first year that Neil Smith was elected to Congress. Uh, and, he, and Gansky ended up upsetting him. So that's, I mean, I think it's tough now. I mean, the partisan divide, you know, people will vote for whatever has the right label on it at this point. It's hard to persuade them to sort of mm. think differently. But uh, I do think that that, I mean, you can do it without, you know, basically saying you're too old. It's just, you know, it's it's somebody else's turn. Maybe it's another generation needs right. to lead the state. We talk a lot about attracting young professionals and all of this and, 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 and nurturing, you know, keeping young professionals in the state. And, and yet we've got all these, you know, Chuck Grassley, Tom Miller, all these folks that just ne- just keep running until, I mean, people that maybe – there are people that were in their 20s that that aspired to be attorney general someday that are, you know, now have grandchildren. <laughs> so it's it's kind of, you know, there is that sort of get out of the way and let somebody else lead for, for a change. And we talked about, um, you know, Abby's strategy, but does Grassley even need to have a strategy at this point? Can can he just sort of lean back and, and know that his lead in the polls is going to take him through to the election? Or, or do you guys think he's going to need to put forth some sort of argument? I, I don't think that he can just, you know, uh, to borrow a sports analogy, uh, roll the helmets out there and expect to win the game. Um, I think he's going to have to conduct a, a, at least a somewhat presentable campaign. But but I do think the kind of the, the burden of proof, uh, so to speak, is on, on Finkenauer to change minds. Because, I mean, this is a guy that a majority of Iowans have been voting for for a long time. That majority's gotten smaller in recent years. And part of that is to Todd's point about just fewer and people, fewer people being persuadable voters. Um, but you know, this guy's been elected, been being elected since Marilyn Monroe was on the big screen. So, um, it, it's up to someone else to, to tell all those Iowans who have been voting for him why they shouldn't anymore. Well, that, that's going to be the fun part of covering the campaign. How many of those analogies can we make? He's been in public office since before <laughs> we put a man into before we put a man into space, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, well, and the, the problem, you know, I think I don't know what Grassley will do. I, I'm sure that the attack dogs at the Iowa GOP will do a pretty good job of painting Abby Finkenauer as a dangerous socialist right. or whatever yeah. they normally try to do. Uh, and the problem for her is going to be too, is that if you look at the landscape next year, you, you may have a, a fairly heated race for governor. You're going to have some congressional races that are competitive. I just feel like, and this has happened in the past with the Senate race, 
for you know as Grassley has held that seat is that you know everybody pays attention to everything else because it's like well Grassley's not going to lose so it's going to be hard for her to sort of catch people's attention you know she's going to have to figure out a way to do that and because otherwise that that race just kind of fades to the background I agree yeah and we have a ballot and God help me, I can never remember which one it is, and I always have to look it up. Is the, Guns. Is it the, the yeah, the gun amendment proposal yep. that's on the ballot? I mean, that'll be a huge race in itself. Um, you know, there'll be yeah, a- I mean, you'll see outside money coming into a lot of these yep. races, but yeah, you know, the the Senate race, I'm not sure. Republicans will have you know plenty of places they want to take or defend, and you know, they're well, part of the reason they like to have Chuck running is because they don't they don't need to pour resources in here. He's yeah, yeah, yep. yep. All worth watching. Uh, before we leave this topic, a couple other quick Iowa poll results I, uh, I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on. Um, Governor Kim Reynolds' uh, approval numbers uh, increased ever so slightly in this latest Iowa poll. Uh, 53% of respondents said they approve of her job performance, and that's up from 51% the previous time around. Uh, she gets strong marks on the economy, uh, but the approval of her handling of the COVID-19 pandemic slipped since the last poll. Uh, it was 51% in this latest poll, and that's down from 54%. So overall, her numbers went up, but she is losing some support on the pandemic. Um, Amy, I just wanted to ask you, how tied together are those two specific numbers moving forward for Reynolds, do you think, especially as we creep into 2022 um, and elect in an election year with her running for re-election? Like, if you would have asked me this last year, I might have been skeptical that COVID would still be an issue, but it clearly still is. Um, So I have no reason to doubt that it'll still be an issue come next November. So I really do think that that is a big number for her. And obviously, she's still, you know, above 50. She's to the good, right? So it's still an approval rating overall. But I think people um, watching her handling of the, you know, the school mask ban and and how the the courts sort of allowed schools to then go back people see that as okay they're not actually following you know your leadership guidance maybe that isn't really doing as much as i thought it was going to be wherever you are on the mask mandate ban that's probably going to affect those numbers there whether what she's doing is holding up in courts in the schools in the court of public opinion that is probably going to still dog her and especially as we're going into winter which is historically historically one year been a big COVID season, flu season, I think it's only going to escalate. Yeah, yeah, definitely one worth watching. And then the other thing in there, uh, Todd, I'll ask you about this. Um, Joe Biden did not get good news in the latest Iowa poll. Of course, Joe Biden has rarely gotten good news in Iowa, hasn't he? God bless him coming back here, but it's it's not been the most fertile ground for political success for him. Um, But in this latest Iowa poll, his approval rating nosedived all the way down to 31% approval and 62% uh, disapproval, which is way down from 43-52 in the previous Iowa poll. So, Todd, I'm not surprised that Biden's underwater in Iowa. I mean, this state continues to trend in Republican direction. He lost to Trump in 2020. He didn't do great in the caucuses when he was just competing against other Democrats even. But I guess I was a little surprised at how far that approval number fell in, in this last poll. What do you make of that, Todd? And if, if those numbers are solid, what do you think is driving that declining approval rating for the president here? Well, I, you know, there are the, the three obvious things. You had the uh, the uh, chaotic 
withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, you've got this situation at the border mm -hmm. uh, that's intensified recently with the arrival of Haitian refugees. And then you've got the fact that COVID, you know, not only isn't going away, but it's getting worse in parts of the country, although there, a lot of it is in parts of the country that didn't vote for Joe Biden and they're not getting vaccinated to the point where they can hold off the spread of the virus. So, but, you know, that all leads to people thinking we're going in the wrong direction. And when you're going in the wrong direction, the president's going to take some of the blame for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, he was elected, I mean, there are quite a few people who voted for him just as sort of an anecdote to the drama, you know, that we were seeing. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, we wanted a calm, we wanted to be able to like forget about who was president, like for two or three days at a time. And it's turned out that, you know, there's been plenty of drama and there's been a lot of yeah. questions about how things have been handled. I, I mean, I think, you know, I might not agree completely on COVID because that's a, it's complicated and you've got, and you've got states that are pushing in the other direction, which is why the president is pushing back so hard against those red states that are sort of refusing to take common sense action. Uh, but I think Afghanistan is, is plain to anyone, yeah. you know, regardless of what the Trump administration did and all of those things that that was just a, it was a disaster. And it, it was, you know, and the border is also more complicated. I know Republicans just want to close the door, but uh, I think the Biden administration's biggest problem is they keep trying to figure out the politics of it instead of just kind of sort of doing the right thing. They're like, well, should we take the Haitians in? Well, no, let's send them back. Let's send them to Haiti. Let's, you know, let's deport them. And then we'll take these folks in and not these folks. And, oh, no, people on horseback, there's bad pictures. I mean, it's, they're so like. ban the they're, horses. <laughs> yeah, they're trying, they're trying to have it both ways. They're trying, I mean, and you just, you've got people that are in trouble from, you know, who can't, don't want to live in these terrible places that are. They're looking for opportunity, just like all a lot of the immigrants that have come to, you know, the, the United States in, you know, 250, nearly 250 years. Uh, so you just need to figure out a way to let them in and and, and take care of them and, and give them the support and help they need instead of, you know, deciding how, what, what are the optics going to be and what are the how are the Republicans going to criticize us? They're going to criticize you no matter what you do. So you might as well do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of stuff that's uh, been going on fueling that. I'm, I'm sure you're right. It'll be interesting to see if if those things get settled. Do those numbers rebound in any way, or, or is is uh, is President Biden destined to be mired down there in the low 30s in, in Iowa? Uh, well, and we're gonna maybe have a government shutdown, which that'll be. Yeah. That'll yeah. add to the positive yeah. vibes yeah. gripping the country. <laughs> Yep. We may not have hit the basement yet on that. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We finish up this week with reacting to redistricting. Uh, we talked about this topic last week. The the new maps, uh, the first round of maps are out proposing new political boundaries for Iowa's next 10 years. But we've had a little more time now for everyone and not just us here on the podcast, but everyone out there, including the ones most affected. Had a little more time for everyone to really absorb those proposals uh so we're beyond the hot takes now we're into I, I don't know what comes after a hot take is a cold take next or a hotter take i, I, I don't know how that works. tepid takes <laughs> the, the, the tepid takes no okay I'll, I'll i'll go with that 
anyway, uh, so let, let me just ask uh, Todd and Amy, each of you uh, get a sense of what you're hearing in your respective uh, necks of the woods. Um, the big questions are, is the Republican-led legislature going to approve these maps, first one? Or are they, are they going to vote them down and send us to a round two? Um, and whether you're hearing anything about elected officials kind of bracing for these maps and planning on moving to a friendlier district, uh, possibly. Uh, Todd, what are you hearing in the Cedar Rapids area? It's It's been fairly quiet. I mean, I think there's some anxiety among a few lawmakers that, you know, have seen their districts sort of change pretty dramatically from what they represented before. It's not necessarily that, you know, uh, you know, any Democrats are thrown into you know, more Republican districts. It's kind of just this worry about, you know, I've, I've almost got to run in a totally new district. So there's, there's been some of that. And, and, and I think the consensus is that this set of maps probably isn't going to be approved. A lot of Democrats mm-hmm. are going to vote for it, but uh, I think, you know, I think Republicans probably aren't going to be terribly supportive. And of course that leads to the, the speculation that we've been hearing for a long time that the real objective of all of this is to get to the third map and that they've you know got a plan that is most favorable to republicans i mean they're sort of hemmed in they've you know they they can't abandon the principles that are laid out in the constitution so they can't just go you know drawing a a district 100 feet on each side of i380 or something and (laughs) right (laughs) so i mean it's but they can you know it is possible for them to make some adjustments that would probably help them and hurt democrats and and they say you know always that they're they they promise to stick with the process well unamended third map of course is part of that process so uh yeah right right amy how about over in waterloo what's the the, what are the tepid takes there? <laughs> They're all tepid takes. I think Todd's right that, that it's just been so quiet because Democrats assume that even though this is probably their best map, that Republicans aren't going to vote for it. And I think that's why you're not seeing a lot of people um, with a lot of hot takes right now, because that's sort of the scuttlebutt is that they're going to at least wait for a second map, if not a third. And and you're probably right that that Republicans are probably hopeful that they can get to that third map and draw their own districts. Um probably just a majority party thing nowadays maybe but yeah um it'll be interesting to to see those fights i think eventually because you will see some at the third map um i think no matter what is drawn people are going to be mad probably in both parties um because even if your differences um are good for republicans they won't be good for all republicans and some of them will have to compete in the same states or the same district rather so i think it'll be interesting to say the least yeah, yeah. So, so I'm going to add something here, and this is really interesting, and only because, and it's going to be contrary to that, um, and it's only because I just, uh, for the benefit of everyone else out there, I just got off the set of Iowa Press. Uh, we recorded this weekend's episode with House Speaker Pat Grassley, and so obviously we asked him a bunch of questions about this. Um, and I got to tell you, and, and caveat up front, that this is me trying to read a little bit into his answers. Um, so. That's, you know, the, take this for what it's worth. If this is my perspective, I'll write on this later. Check out that story. Watch <laughs> the episode this weekend. Make up your own mind. I really got the sense that he was almost setting the stage or laying 
a foundation for reasons why they could actually approve this first set of maps. It was really interesting mm. to hear his responses to our questions. Uh, he, he basically said, if, if your goal is a truly nonpartisan objective process, he was saying all the right things. He said, you know, yeah, we might get drawn into districts with each other, but that shouldn't be um, a, a reason that we reject these maps or not. Um, right. He said, and and we could reject these maps and get a new set of ones, but we're just going to have more people drawn into each other again. It just might be someone different this time. Right. It, it's not like we're going to eliminate that with a mm-hmm. second or third round of maps. He talked about the population shift and not acknowledged how that's driving a lot of this. You know, look, it, there's, there's just people are living in different areas of Iowa than they lived 10 years ago. So these maps are going to be goofy like this to a certain degree, no matter what we do. Um, so it was really interesting to hear him talk and answer those questions. And you, I almost walked off that set with a sense of, wow, he's, this sounded like a guy who would be at peace with approving this first set of maps if that happens. Now, like I said, that's me kind of interpreting his answers. Um, like I said, I encourage everybody to, to read my story and then watch Iowa Press and, and make up their own minds of what they think uh, Pat Grassley was saying as well. Um, but, I, I, I mean, to, like I was surprised coming off that set. I, I expected a little more couching, you know, a little more like, well, we'll see how these look and – if it has to go to a second map, then that's part of the process too. Um, it, it wasn't really like that. It was it was more talking about the process more broadly and and the reasons for uh, voting for or not voting for a map. So it was interesting. It 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 maybe there's a little surprise for us in that there won't be uh, that drama in redistricting um, hmm. this time yeah, around. Yeah, so that know. is interesting. I heard on Twitter John Deeth. You know, longtime Johnson County Democratic activist was saying that he thought maybe that th- those rosy Iowa poll numbers for Republicans would give them sort of the, you know, the green light to do the third map, which they would catch mm-hmm. some flack for. But, you know, there's no That's political survived. downside. It doesn't. Right, right. I mean, their people are going to be fine with it. And, of course, Democrats will be mad, but, you know, they've been. Right. Making Democrats mad for four <laughs> years now. And it doesn't, right, it hasn't mattered. It hasn't really mattered. I mean, so right. that's that's interesting, but I don't know. Yeah. What's the likelihood, yeah. Todd, of of whether it's political bluster or not? Well, it's it hasn't happened, which is one of those things. So it's uncharted territory, uh, and it will draw criticism. I mean, it might not all just be from you know. Right. It might not, you know, they might not just get criticized only by the, the libs, <laughs> but it may be, you know, folks beyond that, 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 you know, we, we've, we've, all of us that have, you know, were born in Iowa and have lived here, the, you know, a whole time have heard all of our school, you know, all the time we were in school that we had this great redistricting system and it was nonpartisan and it's a model for the nation and all of that. We don't have these, you know, crazy gerrymandering Mm-hmm. you know, sessions like they do in other states like Illinois. <laughs> We're no Illinois. So, yeah, so, I mean, if they if they do that and they make this more like those processes, then I think they're going to take a lot of criticism. But, you know, they've they took out collective bargaining for state employees. They, you know, they've done 
all sorts of stuff that mm-hmm. was pretty astounding and uncharted. And they, you know, just shrugged off the criticism and cut off the debate and sent it to the governor. So in this yeah. case, they don't have to send it to the governor. But uh, <laughs> I, I agree with you, though, Todd. I, I think you're you're right that they've they've certainly learned that they they've got a lot of leeway in this state uh, for their agenda mm-hmm. and um but i do think that redistricting is the one thing and you touched on this a little bit too that's a little less you know all those other issues collective uh bargaining and even school funding and you could it's unfortunate in some cases but you can see the political lines being drawn on on a lot of those issues if not all of them even voting um you know even voting rights which again i i would i say that's that's unfortunate but similar to the pandemic you can see voting lines on the pandemic and that that sucks in a lot of ways but it's the reality of it the 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 redistricting thing is one that republican a lot of republicans are still proud of too um so if they blew that up i i i could potentially see you know um them facing some blowback and and some political fallout from that well and you know i I think back on the last, you know, the last four years that they've had control, they have the, had the, uh, the uh, trifecta. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, what were those moments where they could have had a power grab, but they decided, well, that's just too excessive. And I, I can't, I can't think of any of those right. moments. Right. So yep. that's what makes me wonder right. whether they would put on the brakes this time, but right. there's right. no, sign that they would but i mean i suppose that they're you know maybe you know there, there was the there was the the massive courts over overhaul where they basically would have politicized the whole ju- judicial process picking process all the way down to the district courts and they ended up having to water down that a lot because there wasn't support for doing that so i suppose that would be a, a moment where they you know stepped up to the abyss and said, eh, maybe we shouldn't hmm. plunge into this one. Yeah. So I guess that's, that's an instance that I can think of, but yeah, not, not very many others. No, I guess pension reform is, is, is the only other one that would be. Yeah, that's true. One. They, have, that's they, true. Haven't, they haven't done that one yet, but, but yeah, so it'll be interesting. It'll be, and like I said, I, I was much more inclined to give a similar answer to, that, that you guys did today until I, I heard from Pat Grassley this morning. So that, that was really interesting. Now, maybe, maybe he just did a good job of, you know, masking what's really going on, you know, beneath the surface. That's, that's certainly possible too. Um, uh, the good news is we'll find out soon enough. Uh, a week from Tuesday, October 5th is a special session. We'll at least know whether those first uh, maps are, are good to go or not. The, the other thing I'm going to throw in before we sign off real quickly is um the one thing I think we all need to keep in mind is we get tied up with those congressional maps, but Ashley Henson is not voting on these maps. Marionette Miller makes Cindy Axney. They don't get to vote on these. Uh, the folks who are voting on these in large part, don't give a rip about those congressional maps. They're concerned <laughs> about their own. Um, and, and uh, I'll give credit to a, a colleague, Andrew, uh, um, uh, back one of the producers for Iowa Press made this point today too. We get we get tied up with all the legislators who were drawn at the state level who were drawn in together, and that has happened a mm-hmm. lot. And they may not like the maps for that reason, but we forget about the other ones who didn't and are 
doing, you know, wiping their brow now because like, hey, woo, I'm safe. And that's actually the majority, right? It's right. the minority that got drawn in together. Right. Uh, it's 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 a majority of the legislators that are. And what's the um, you know motivation for them to want a second map? I dodged the bullet on this time. Why am I going to yeah, vote for a true. second map when I could get drawn into one? Uh, so there's a lot going on here. Um, so so um, I don't know. It's it's obviously very fascinating and uh, all conjecture for another ten days or so, and then. Uh, Two podcasts from now, we can talk about what actually happened. So, yes. <laughs> in the meantime, we keep guessing. So, stick with us through that. You'll want to hear that uh, future edition. But that's it for this week's edition of On Iowa Politics. Thanks to everyone for listening. We hope it was worth your time. If you like the show, subscribe, tell a friend, and you can send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. Don't forget the work of everyone you heard today and those who couldn't make it uh, this morning can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and Cedar Rapids Gazette. Imperfect will play us out this weekend. If you know a talented band or Iowa musician who should be featured on our show, send us a sound file. For Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening. Facebook shit. Peace out. Perfect.